0: This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones.
1: You're listening to The Advisory Board. It's wonderful to have you with us. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we're here to lend a helping hand. We've been there before, helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations and communities all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. I'm Megan Flamer.
2: And I'm Alan Jones. And each week, we take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. So make sure you send us your questions or write to us about your problems. We also accept collectible LP records and TikTok clips of 1970s television commercials. You can reach us at hello at disrupt.radio or you can reach Megan on LinkedIn or shiny happy healthy on Instagram or me at alanstartup, alan And now, on with the show.
0: Disrupt. This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. <laughs> Not that Alan Jones.
2: Megan, what have you been doing lately to minimise your impact on the environment?
1: Oh, God. It's interesting how guilty my body immediately How feels. small <laughs> is your footprint? <laughs> okay, so recovering flyer here, mm-hmm. like I used to get on planes like they were buses, especially when I lived in Asia and the US, I would almost every week be jumping on a flight, sometimes a long haul flight. So I had enormous perks and lounges that I miss a lot. (laughs) (laughs) If you weren't already clear that I'm a monster, Um, but you know, I I was flying a lot. Mm. And so one of my big things that I've been working on and it came about as an opportunity with COVID lockdowns of, okay, you aren't going to fly as much as you used to. How can you be more thoughtful about how you travel, how you you can be more thoughtful about how many flights you take in a year? And I've slowly watched my flight miles and my status Mm. (laughs) drop, drop, drop. Um, And, you know, look, they put the perks in place for a reason, but it it has made an enormous difference to my environmental footprint. And then there are some other things that I feel like, do you know the whole soft plastics Yes. Situation. So I, I mean, I'm hopeful that our guest today can talk to us a bit about some of these Mm. things because I really wonder, you know, you read a lot about environmental impact Mm. within companies, like how a big corporation is making so much of a bigger impact on, you know, any of the little flights that I might take or the soft plastics that I might, you know, me carrying around a metal straw in my purse as opposed to an organisation, you know, fracking. Um, So, you know, looking at the differences with those and how we can all band together and make great choices as a people and Mm -hmm. as a planet. Um, But, yeah, I'm torn by it. I think... I, I do read up a lot about it, and I I do try and and make good choices around it. But good on you. I'm also a convenience junkie and yeah. a child of the '80s who yep. doesn't like CFCs, but doesn't feel so strongly about soft plastics.
2: You're at the service station, you see the plastic wrap sandwich, ham and cheese. I'm like that looks pretty. <laughs> that looks pretty tasty. You're more a quinoa girl.
1: Yeah, I am a bit of a quinoa girl. It's good. Right. And look, I don't I don't eat a lot of I do eat meat again, but I didn't for many years uh-huh. for environmental reasons and um i have slowly you know started to shift that but i do mainly eat vegetarian for um environmental reasons as well because i think that is something that you can do to make a big impact i don't know how about you like do you i feel like you're pretty conscious
2: well you know i have, I have the benefit of privilege and and privilege bestows upon one certain you yes. know, advantages when it comes to things like minimizing one's footprint yes. um but you know you know like you i didn't go anywhere um during during lockdown, and I'll do two international flights this year, both you know to to the to the other hemisphere. Um, so that's not insignificant. But a few years ago, uh, I was I was pitched by a, um, an Aussie working for a startup in San Francisco, um, and it's a, a climate offset um, uh, a startup. And I didn't end up investing in the company, but I did become a customer and. Probably the most helpful thing I had, so the, it's a startup called Project REN, that's W-R-E-N. I'm okay. happy to endorse them because it's a great thing. And probably the, the most valuable thing that they, that they offer is a really accurate but also really simple and really helpful calculator. To help That's you good. calculate the total impact of, of the, the climate impact of, of a business or a family or an individual. Um, and so it was pretty easy for me to figure out what our family emissions were and, and our family impact. And then and then to choose from a range of different offsets. And so what I decided to do was was to offset more than my family's impact. So that yes. I was I was definitely, you know. Carbon negative, so that feels kind of good, and it costs less than I expected. And it's a simple monthly subscription. and away it goes, and I can go back into the calculator at any time as my circumstances change. You know, so during lockdown, I was able to pay even less per month because I was going nowhere. Now I'm coming back out of lockdown. I'm, I'm, I'm paying more than before. Um, so you know, there's there's almost always ways to to catch up with the things that you're not able to to directly. You know, so so you know, I'll, I'll take a keep cup with me if if when I know I'm leaving the house that I'm that I'm going. To probably need a coffee while while I'm out and about, but every now and again, you know, I, I need a coffee. I'm jonesing real bad in the, in the afternoons, and then I'll just make myself stop and drink the coffee in the coffee shop, which is oh, you know, a perfectly nice. acceptable way to drink a coffee. Apparently, I don't have to have that's it in a Italian takeaway of cup.
1: You. Yeah, very European. <laughs> What's European. But okay, just yeah. to play devil's advocate, I don't know that I even really believe this, but how much of the keep cuppiness and an individual not eating meat or not taking a flight. Mm. I'd love to use this group and look at what my actual footprint is. But compared to what massive corporations are doing and what yeah. companies are doing, are we just virtue signalling?
2: Well, we're arounding it. But what we're also doing is, is, is by requiring ourselves to try and make a difference within our powers to do so. Mm-hmm. We're no longer saying, well, it's somebody else's problem. Because I think I think, love that. I think the last the fifty together. years. Yeah. The last fifty yeah. years has been the world all going, well it's not my problem, it's their problem. Well it's not my problem, it's their problem. Yeah. And and, you know, let's start a, a positive circle of, well actually it is partly my problem as well as your problem. So if I Take action. Will you too? You know, yes. I think you can't be what you can't see. you see other people making a difference and, and making different choices. Then maybe you feel a little bit you know more. And and obviously businesses have have a bigger impact than individuals and families. Um, so when businesses are aware that their customers care about these things and there is some impact on them as well, and I think today's letter might lead us in pretty nicely to that topic.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's it's important as we're having these conversations to realize how yeah. many votes our dollars have. Um, Because one of the bigger conversations I've had in the last few years is about being aware, you know, in Australia, for example, where our super is being invested. Because it's the most money most Australians will ever have. Mm. And it's money that is literally being invested in a bunch of places that maybe you don't like. Yeah. And so if you are someone who is environmentally conscious, and we hope that you are, yes. um, you know, if you've got a keep cup and you're looking at your straw and you're, you know, recycling your soft plastics and having big conversations about the kind of foods that you eat and where they come from, acknowledging again, that's a very privileged position to be able to make those kinds of choices. But, you know, if you're able to do those things, be looking at where your super is invested because mm-hmm. if you dig a little below the surface as well, I think you know if you're, you're saying that you're mm-hmm. against mining, for example, or if you're against a particular company or doing particular things in particular countries and how they use labour and all those sorts of things – You may be disappointed at where your super is just blanket being invested.
2: Yeah, and it's easy now to find out where all of your super is from all of your previous employers and also then to choose a new super fund. It's actually one of the few easy things to do about your money. It's super hard to change credit card providers. super hard to change mortgages, you know. But it's actually really easy to change super funds. So look into what your super fund is doing. Yes, Uh,
1: and a high level of transparency. But yes, I digress because today's
2: letter... Today's letter um, reads as follows. Dear Advisory Board, we're a 12-person team and we develop software to help law firms. With the backing of some great angel investors and a VC fund, we now have a little breathing room to think about how and why we grow this company. I love that bit. Mm-hmm. One of the values that unites our funding team is caring for the environment and we'd like to design our business so that it has minimum impact on the environment. What practical steps can we take as a small business to reduce our environmental impact today and how should we scale those measures as we grow from Tiny footprints, please. Oh, I like that. Imagining little
1: tiny footprints on the sand, you know. That's great. These are such good questions and I agree with you. Like, I think that's... that's lovely how and why we grow yeah. this company,
2: Yeah.
1: right? Like these are the questions that we want all of our baby founders to ask.
2: Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Are we really, you know, are we really in this to, to build a billion dollar company or actually are we trying to build meaningful employment and a better solution for the customers that we serve
1: exactly. so that we can go
2: and spend some of the summer on the beach?
1: Yeah. And I, I love that these aren't mutually exclusive conversations anymore, right? Like mm. <laughs> developing software to help law firms mm. and they're having an environmental conversation. You know, Looking at how they can design it for minimum footprint, it's kind of like, well, what would that actually do Hmm. in a software sense? Like, Is that going to be an issue? Hmm. I think we need to call in some help, Al.
2: Call in some help. We can do that. We've got some help. Um, Nick Gonios is an Australian startup industry veteran, 30 years experience behind him across private and publicly listed software technology ventures, early stage tech investments, and as a board member to software subscription scale-ups globally. As CEO of Circulist, Nick is leading a mission to a future where products are made to be used and reused rather than thrown away, where circular design and intelligent ecosystems will enable us to reuse and recycle natural resources, and where products can be good for people and the planet. Joining us from Sydney, uh, Nick Gonios, thank you so much for your time today. It's so great to have you on the show. Really, uh, really, nice to be
1: on here. thank you. We go, I'm, I'm very hopeful, you know, talking to you about this, because... I won't lie to you. You know, we read these letters before, and I was thinking, what environmental impact? Like, how are we going to bring these things together for software? To help law firms and make it, like, you know, but make it environmental. And Al was like, I know a guy.
2: I know (laughs) a guy.
3: (laughs) 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 Mr. G, Mr. G. Mr.
1: G. So, like, as you're reading that letter, what immediately sticks out for you?
3: Well, I mean, um, where do we start? I mean, it's such a big, you know, we're dealing with some pretty big uh, wicked problems, right, at the moment. And uh, trying to unbundle them and rebundle them right now. Is, is a big challenge. Um, for me, I look at it from a time horizon point of view. When I see companies like software companies and SaaS companies and so forth, uh, Alan and I you know, lived and breathed the dot-com days and uh, we had to buy real infrastructure back in the day, none of this cloud stuff. So we think about cloud, we think about cloud and we think about hardware, we think about software, the definition of that it has changed over time for the better. Um, I think being in the software sector right now and transitioning to sort of this sort of new intelligence frontier, um, which is going to drive more issues around um, data and bandwidth and and usage, and we'll pluck that aside for now, the, the reality is that uh, things are better from a software perspective, in terms of the software sector industry point of view, in the sense that our cloud infrastructure providers, specifically, have uh, are going very, very hard on climate net zero and, and net green, so to speak, mm-hmm. and really pushing hard on um, on you know reducing their foot, their environmental and, and social footprint as much as possible, and taking it one step further to actually even think about how they utilize materials within their products and the infrastructure that they are rolling out and being responsible. As much as possible, so so putting that so basically framing it from that point of view, it's a good time to be in software from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a good time to be in uh, the business of um, uh, waste management or uh, or uh, hard infrastructure <laughs> stuff at the moment, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know planes and boats and ships in that sense from an environmental footprint point of view. So, but you know when looking back to the letter and the you know it's anonymous letter from this young sort of software company in law. Um I, I think there are plenty of opportunities to, for them to actually consider what they do in short, medium, and long-term. And uh, I don't know how, how much we want to talk about this, but uh, I can spend a whole day talking about it, but we've, we've only got so much time. so.
2: Well, let's break it up into short, medium, and long-term. I think I think that's a really nice sort of <clears throat> framework. you know. So I think if you're trying to get all the people in the office to feel like work has really begun and we're not just talking about mm-hmm. it, we're actually yep. doing something, maybe some of those short-term changes might be some of the things that will get the whole team on board and get everybody talking about the positive changes. Change they're making. What 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 would a, a top person team in a, in a in a rented office somewhere be able to, to start with immediately? Nick.
3: Well, the first thing is um, it's really looking at it's looking at you know who they who where they're spending their money with mm-hmm. who they're spending their money with to start with. Right, you know they're looking just looking at their costs and and their revenues, just looking at their P and L and saying where. Are we spending our money mm-hmm. right? Who are we spending it with? Are we? Are we? Do we actually have a physical presence that we're currently leasing on our own? How is the landlord working with us to actually um, operate and manage that environment? What do we have control with? Do we actually go to a co-working space that has some sort of shared services infrastructure that we know they're actually um, covering and, and abating, sort of not baiting but covering the the uh, carbon footprint challenges that they're doing? What office furniture they're using and stuff? It's it's very much at high level that. Um, really, seeing which which partners that they work. With. So, so looking at the, the office consumables, looking at the you know the air conditioning systems and the electricity providers. You know, there are in Australia right now. There's as I've viewed There's a there's two or three full vertically integrated um, green renewable uh, retailers right now. They could just sign off with and just using today, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just from that, they would you know be contributing in some way as a as a as an as an organisation to start with. But mm-hmm. as individuals. Um, amazingly, in the sector that we're in, uh, we've gone to write remote and hybrid work, as we know, and it's become sort of the norm. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, you know, we can actually improve and track how much Travel we do and what type of travel we do. And, you know, we're we going on our e bikes all the way through our bikes into the office one or two days a week now versus working from home Great. or working from a local cool cafe, which I did this morning. All that can be sort of tracked and measured. And there are tools out there that, you know, you can actually sort of track and, and measure your activities. I mean, there's a certain point, you know, the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, it's a myth to think that we're tracking everything because we're not. And um, the challenge is that we need to find ways to build sort of invisible tech, as I call it, that enables us to maintain our behaviours. I don't think I don't believe we need to be changing our Uh behaviours to do good. It should be the opposite. Uh, The the invisible underlying infrastructure should basically work with us to maintain our sort of standard of living and improve it over time. and and so with that, it, we shouldn't be changing our behaviours. I mean, we go into the whole meat discussion; that's a whole other discussion. Because I, but we won't go there. Let's stick to let's stick to this challenge right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the things that we quite often get asked, you know, and we've had a few letters about it, and not been too sure how to answer it. So just to add to tiny footprints, please question is around B Corp. Like, <laughs> should we okay. should we be a B Corp? You know, and we've we've got two founders, and we're not making any revenue yet. But should we be a B Corp? You know. So I, I wonder, like in in terms of tiny footprints, please, and also more broadly, what's that process like, and is that is that more virtual virtue signalling? Like, what what does it actually mean?
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are pledge programs out there. There are certification programs. B Corp is one of those, probably the leading one in the market. You would say there's one percent for the planet. There's all these sort of pledge programs out there. I've, gone, I've done B Corp two or three times with a couple of organizations that I've, that I've been associated with and worked through, and it's a pretty extensive exercise in going through it. It actually helps you unpack and articulate an action plan for a short, medium, long-term basis. Okay. Uh, you know, for B Corp specifically, 200 points, you get 80 and you pass. Had it, getting, over, getting over 105 is extremely difficult. Uh, for a lot of organizations, because it really relates back to an important topic, which is understanding your scope one, two, and three carbon um, footprint emissions, which is not well understood by the average person. And it's something that we need to articulate and do a better job at. And it's not really hard. We can talk about that. Uh, but going back to the, going back to sort of B Corp and all these other sort of pro, um, pledge programs and certifications, uh, with my circulus hat on, we call that the. Green lipstick on the pig. Um,
1: <laughs> greenwashing.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it greenwashing specific because greenwashing is intentional, right? Okay. It's not okay. intentional. You know, we have intention yeah, to do good. Yeah, we have intention to do good, but it's only it only goes to a certain point. And to get specific and technical about B Corp as an example, it only goes so far. To the point where and i've got a great case study on this on this which we'll talk about and and what actually did happen uh, in the us with one company the problem is it only goes so far and doesn't lock in it doesn't lock in and guarantee purpose perpetually for a company right mm, that's such a good because point. because at a shareholder agreement level and at a governance level and at a board level when decisions are being made and it's not locked into the purposes of the, the purpose of the organization other than having intent Board members, shareholders, whoever they are, whoever's got voting rights, can do what the hell they want. Yeah. Yes. There's no accountability. There's no there's no lock in accountability, right? Perpetual purpose, as I call it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there is a there is a play going on in Europe that we're look that we're looking at with what we're doing at surplus which we'll talk about, and I, I won't sort of park that aside. But one example, one simple example, is a company that we all know is a brand that's been around for ten or twelve years called Etsy. Right? Etsy. Mm-hmm. We know Etsy. Yeah. Right. Etsy was designed as a purpose-driven organization to uh, enable and, and enrich and bring to life the amazing craft people, creative craft people in our world, and give them a, a, an ability to, to sort of live their dreams and live their purpose in life in some way, right? So for ten years, that organization grew and grew and knew. It was actually VC backed. Many times over, which a whole discussion around VC, which I won't get into. And it was VC backed and grew and grew and grew. They, they were doing amazing things, you know, created a new category of not just e-commerce, you would say, but sort of a marketplace economy type of building for that long tail of operators and creatives doing doing what they want to do and love. And when they IPO'd, about 12 months later, BCs and investors, including founders, took their money off the table predominantly. And uh, new investors came in, they were public listed, they IPO'd, let's be clear, they IPO'd, um, new new mandate, new approach to executing. And 12 to 18 months later, as slowly the existing investors and shareholders exited slowly after 10 or 12 years of hard work, the new board and new operating entity being being driven by operationalizing short, medium-term execution, reshifted the purpose and strategy of Etsy to becoming an e-commerce provider for craft stuff. Versus being purpose driven for the craftspeople, right? Mm. Mm. And so they shifted from being what they were to becoming an e commerce marketplace for basically selling stuff that craftspeople do. And it lost all its purpose, uh, it basically lost all its mission and purpose yeah. in what it originally came from. And why? Let's be clear, they actually were a B Corp. So if they actually mm-hmm. uh, were, if it was enabled in their B Corp mandate in the organization's you know, shareholding structure and governance structure, it would never happen. And that's the flaw in B Corp um, at the moment is that you can't actually go down to locking in economic and voting rights um, in the way the organisation gets governed and uh, executed. So, so I think we uh, need a, a, a global B Corp enforcement league, you know, a, a,
2: a team of superheroes. investigators and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. financial <laughs> penalties for, for organisations yeah. that no longer live up to the B yeah. Corp. But no capes. No, oh.
1: no capes because they get caught. Isn't that the thing from the Incredibles? No capes because they, <laughs> no the, they get stuck in the
3: in, in the rotors doors. and the doors <laughs> and the. Yeah. Doors and the yeah. So it's one simple example, guys. Of what you know, what um, you Nick, know, where, where there are. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, there's all this great intention, but yeah. uh, we need Nick, to go one step. Uh, further.
2: Yeah. Nick, imagine for a moment, I'm, I'm I'm a regular person, and 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 you <laughs> said that the regular people um, might not be familiar with the concept of scope one, two, and three emissions. It's yep. it's, it's, it's it's important for our audience to understand what we're talking about when. We we talk about that. And what yep. would the scope one, two, and three emissions be for a 12-person law firm software?
3: Team? Okay. So, scope one, I'll just define the definitions, right? So, well, I'll just explain. Scope one is basically um, relating to the emissions that directly get generated in the production of your goods and services, right? So, um, and in a software type of company, it's not that, it's a little bit uh, vague to be able to work out that out, but it's any, any related emissions Directly incorporate in terms of how you produce your your products in market, you know, through the re, through the resources and the assets that you actually um, own and control. Right. Mm-hmm. The second is actually the scope two is actually the the indirect emissions from what you per, purchase through um, the acquired energy, you know, electricity, steam, heat, water, cooling, whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. So relating to the question they had, their HVAC um, uh, challenges or or, or um, or uh, energy consumption they might have mm-hmm. uh, in any way, shape, or form energy to get to and from the office, mm-hmm. um, the office to switch on the lights. The and Coffee pods. The the toilet. Oh, paper, all that, right? Oh, coffee pods, yeah, mm-hmm. coffee pods, you know, b- the beer on tap stuff, all mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and then scope three is very much off the back of scope two, it's very much how do you then incorporate things like, you know, end the life of products that that we use uh, use of products, processing of products sold and, and investments, which is a sort of the hardest one of all is scope three to tackle. And yes. the way that we explain it from with a circular hat on it's scope one and two in simple terms is very much around what we call around sustainable sustainable practices. And scope three is very much and sustainable practices very much means around sustainability very much around how do we electrify and decarbonize everything. In simple terms, right, which relates to scope one and two, which is much more around energy usage and and, and so forth, and then scope three is very much around um, what we call the dematerialization of everything, which is actually how do we how, how do we improve the way that we produce and consume stuff, and therefore we reduce the amount of footprint both in a material and an, and an energy sort of production and consumption sense. So it's very much. Uh, tied into all of that and I've actually got a great guide that I'd love to share with you and to share with all your listeners which is not our guide but it's actually a guide that was produced by um, a local organization which is part of um, what they call the B team um, mm-hmm. out of the UK which has gone global and I strongly recommend it because it's designed for CEOs and um, it's basically a scope roadmap that was published in November last year which I, I, I actually is a, it's a beautiful document and does really well we had there's about 40 CEOs that came together under B team and B team is a massive advocacy group that was started by Richard Branson, actually of all people, to try and see if we can actually tackle some of these problems. And uh, there was a great study done locally around this, and some. And I'll share this, but the point is they articulate a five-to-seven-step um, program on how do we tackle Scope 3, mm. and it's a beautifully well-produced document um, with local case studies from Lion Nathan to all these different brands on how they're trying to tackle it, and uh, it'd be great for all your listeners because it's very applicable to any size company in my view. It's just the scale issue and the complexity. So,
1: Nick, I love what you've just said, talking about these different scopes mm. and thinking about where where things end up, like the things that you're making in the world, how to be responsible about that, like it it completely changes the conversation around, okay, sure, you've got these behaviours, we won't have unreusable pods in the office and we'll have Mm. e-bikes for you to go in. Mm. But it's really different when you're thinking about, okay, we've made this incredible product, whether that's hardware or a piece of software or whatever that looks like, what happens to it when people are finished with it? How do you tackle that conversation? How can people be responsible about that third scope?
3: Put simply, we believe that uh, the current world that we operate under is completely broken uh, in the sense that, and I think, I mean, that's not being pessimistic, <laughs> okay. but hmm. let's just accept, let's just accept the, state, the state of the nation. The state of the nation, we've been operating under a, um, a, a you know double-ledger financial system model for like 500 years, right? Yes. thanks to the Medicis. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what we haven't been recognising is is uh, which I'll be going to Florence in a few, few a couple of months actually, which okay,
1: I'm Nick. For. All right, uh,
3: just to <laughs> drop that in uh, <laughs> business class. Uh, and so, um, and what what has happened is we haven't been tracking the environmental and social footprint that goes with with that, right? Because it was just not it was very difficult to track and measure completely, and it was not driven by what we were trying to do. And so, what we are wanting to focus on is really trying to go in all in on the hard problems that need to be tackled, which is. How do we dematerialize the world as an overarching mission and then reimagine those products to be used for good? And what does it mean for good from our point of view? Is actually shifting away from consumption Mm. to usage, right, Uh, or ownership to usage. The amazing thing that I've been able to experience, and I think Alan and many of us on on, on this uh, conversation and, and in the sector, we've been privileged to be able to see the most transformative industry for the last 30 years shift away from, you know, having Windows 95 boxes that we only use for 15 minutes to install mm. our software, mm. right, to now everything going into the cloud and being in real-time usage and tracking behaviours that are happening invisibly behind our seals to deliver a better user experience, right? Mm. So the reality is the tech sector has done an amazing job to consolidate and deliver a much better, beautiful and, and, and better experience in terms of user behaviors and so forth. I truly really believe that I'm proud of what we have done as a sector. Now it's about bringing that to the real world, as I call it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that really is sets up for, for all of that uh, thinking. And, um, and so it's going to be shit hard to do. It's going to take decades uh, you know framing of this it's going to take three three generations in our view it's going to take three generations to shift towards this operating model and the question that we have is do we take on the existing ugly industrial complex of the world or do we partner with them and grow and uh I mean, I can spend all day talking, but I'm going to
2: leave it at that. <laughs> Nick, um, uh, you spend a lot of your time uh, working with companies in, in Europe. In fact, when we last yeah. caught up, you're, you're about to, to head off. So, you know, you're both a consumer and, and a business person, both in mm-hmm. the EU and in Australia. Do you see that, um, do you feel like Australia um, leads or lags in, in, in you know, in, in business um, impact measurement and, and and change.
3: Oh, Alan, Alan, Alan! You know me well enough to know that we are uh, we. I openly say in Australia that we live in the arse end of the world, and we're a backwater, unfortunately. Um, when it comes oh, to things, we're at the whole the whole um, the whole our cities are a beautiful mirages right now. Um, we've had we've had thirty one years of uninterrupted growth, which is the worst metric that we have. Um, as a nation, as a, as a proud technology entrepreneur, it's been very frustrating to not see that we haven't actually had some hardship in the market. I think we have to have a, some forced mars- hardship um, mm-hmm. to make things happen. In addition to that, you know, we run an oligopoly of an economy which basically has both ends of the spectrums, you know, not having real competition in the middle. This is the fundamental problem we have in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, and at, the, and at a grander level, our, 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 our policies at government federal level have been driven by what they call comparative, comparative strategies, and not competitive strategies. Right? So, comparative strategies very much look at how can we support others that are driving competition at a macro level, at a, as a country. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is adverse as being executing a competitive strategy as a nation us together with South Korea we're in, we're in different similar trajectories timelines and look what they've done because they executed mm-hmm. a competitive strategy mm-hmm. versus Australia being executing a comparative strategy so we're going super macro here mm-hmm. and that's all driven everything in terms of the behaviors the way our funds operate and so forth right and the, and the way that and the way that our economy operates if it was running like a business it'd be so it's so bad in the sense that 40 percent of our GDP is generated by one customer and one product right? Mm -hmm. It's so bad. Iron all back to China. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just broken from my point of view. So, so I've sort of, you know, to answer your question at high level, it's, it's that. And then specifically, we unfortunately take too long to get shit done in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, We just, we're not collaborative enough in terms of bringing together like-minded organizations to execute really fast. A great example right now is housing, right? It's 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 the one that we celebrate so much. Here we've got multimillionaires off the back of houses that don't move or are not producing anything, which is my most frustrating, frustrating part of our economy. You know, our proud young entrepreneurs trying to build good things are muzzled by that eco, by that sector completely. Mm-hmm. And it's a massive opportunity to actually really reimagine what we can do and go after a real mission, which is how do we generate one or, you know, create one or two meaningful, sustainable livable homes for our amazing country, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go tackle it hard versus go after and um, and work out, you know, no, I'm going to watch what I say. I was going to talk about unions and stuff, but that's a whole other discussion, so. <laughs> you know, you,
1: I, it's so, we're both getting sore necks in, in the studio the here where we're, we're just doing. nodding, yeah. like nodding, nodding, nodding. Yes,
3: I throw, up, I throw uppercuts. ellen knows me. <laughs> <but>. <laughs>
1: oh, you know, it, it's so, it's, so difficult to talk about all of these problems as well in those micro sort of ways. Like I think we do have to pull back and really look at the big systemic issues that are happening here. And I want to make sure that we're really valuable for Tiny Footprints, please, because as a 12 person business and what they're dealing with, I can imagine this might feel a bit scary and overwhelming to them, you know, and they can contribute to this bigger conversation and be looking at what they can be doing in the world. And I love that they're idealistically looking yeah. at how they do that.
2: And surely it's, a, it's it's the meme gif of the little girl saying yeah. you know, to the Mexican family, why can't we have both? Yeah, you know, porque why we, Yes, why can't
3: we make progress <laughs> why on the big do, long-term Why can't stuff? we have purpose with profits? Yes. Basically. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
1: We've talked a bit about... Um, scope three and also scope one. You know, what is there for Tiny Footprints, please, to do on that journey from, okay, we've decided we want to diminish our environmental footprint, Mm -hmm. what would Mm -hmm. that look like, whether or not a B Corp makes the most sense or a pledge, what other steps can they realistically and practically take to further themselves on that journey?
3: So, um, so specifically, I think this is the big opportunity in general is, um, it sort of like ties back into ESG reporting and where we, what it's, what it's actually done. ESG reporting is, is, uh, you know, as the name suggests, a report and a report are just typically snapshots in time, right? And, uh, and we're always looking through the review mirror with snapshot and times with reports. And what has happened generally internationally, specifically in Europe and in Australia, we've had a lot of people slapped on the wrist for creating reports that are sort of positioned and driven around um, what we want to see and not enough of what needs to be done. So what is happening aggressively right now in Europe and needs to happen around the world ever so quickly is um, the addition of what they call transition planning, right? And uh and so it's ESG reporting together with transition planning and for us older blokes or older, older people, uh <laughs> gonna be PC, it's basically the old business transformation days, digital transformation days with the green twist, like it's so really simple, right? Green twists that actually associate not just, you know, how do we transform and be more productive and create great user experiences and be in operational excellence, but how do we do it in a way that uh, does good for the planet as well and, and society as a whole, right? And that's tied back into SDG, the SDG goals that are 17 of, right? So a transition plan, as big and grand as it might be, actually should be part of your organisational strategy of where we're going, right, Mm. and what we're doing and the purpose that we have. So at the the core of what an organisation can do in the medium term is to incorporate in their strategic planning exercises, you know, their medium-term horizon thinking, what are we doing around our environmental and social footprint? And then how does it relate to our go-to-market initiatives? And then how does it relate to how our people and organisation operates? And then break it down to our... You know, regular weekly, our uh, quarterly rocks. As I, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, in this sort of okay, our quarterly rocks model. So it's not hard. It's really breaking it back down and just adding a flavour of sustainability and circularity to what you're doing uh, into the mix, and do it in a way that um, can be sort of as much tracked and measured as possible. Scope three is really hard, but at least you can do scope one and two to start with. So. Mm. Uh, that might be a little bit. Maybe I'm a bit too frameworky there, but that's how I think about things. So
1: I think that's really practical, and I think it. It's also you know breaking it down not only into a framework but also into something bite-sized because again with a team that small. Yeah. I think weaving it into the organisation is also a really great thing. Like it's a container that you're building the organisation inside of where yeah. you are looking at what are your values and are your yeah. values aligned with that environmental conversation? You know, how do you treat people? How do you onboard them? Like
3: It's actually how we behave and operate and what unfortunately... In companies, we, we we need to track and measure what we do from a KPI point of view to sort of drive people. We're not all the same. We're not all visionary entrepreneurs doing things. People just are happy to you know, do their jobs. Yes. And with that comes actually giving them uh, KPIs that are associated to that. So I remember reading a book about 20 years ago by Lou Gershner, who's um, the old IBM CEO at 18 months before IBM was going to go blow up. I was reading this book on an island in Greece 20 years ago. I was reading business books back then. I still do. Mm. <laughs> and I was sitting reading this. You know, my feet were getting wet on the water reading this business book by IBM Goshner. And um, I remember what came out of it was he was thinking, what the fuck am I got myself into here? It's like 18 months of trying to travel the world in this multi matrixed environment uh, operating model. And they couldn't work out what it, why it was broken. And what he quickly worked out after, I mean, not quickly, after 18 months was that, all the KPI structures were flawed and broken they weren't connected in any way in a similar direction and what he caught to realize was uh, people respect what is inspected of them right mm. so that has become some of, become one of my mantras in terms of operating and growing organizations unfortunately fortunately we all want to be driven by purpose and so i thought that the practical reality is that we need people to um, work towards KPIs and goals and outcomes and what we actually inspect is what we respect, right? So it goes basically along narrative there, positions around how do we really tie back at a leadership level and an operating level, what we inspect, Within our young companies, including this law, law software law firm, mm-hmm. which then starts to really rate it, you know, raise the bar or raise it into our conscious state, not our subconscious state. You know, we have the intention to do things, and you know, oh, you know, we push out the rubbish on a Sunday night because it's going to be picked up on, on Monday morning. It's just going to all be okay, mm-hmm. you know, which doesn't happen, right? How do we how do we put in place amazing, simple, clear metrics? That sort of set up for um, this organisation to be at least tracking and having it above the radar. And it could be as simple as like, how do we go? How do we go fifty percent? You know, net zero on our energy consumption yeah. uh, by in twelve months' time. It's really those measures. How do we how do we start to consider uh, how how we electrify our, our transportation usage and needs to get to meetings and so forth? Mm-hmm. Um, what are we doing about that? And 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 it's really coming up with three or four and saying we can only do three or four in the year. Let's go after that and start to build behaviours that become natural in the organization's operating model. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, not a
2: habit until you actually miss it when you're not doing it, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, and
1: I think there's a lot of fun little ways that you can do that in an organisation as well. So, for example, Jan Fran, the the journalist, she does a lot of stuff with yes. this project, and you know, around Aussie media, she created this project because she's obviously someone who has to wear a lot of different outfits, and she's yeah. created this thing where she's like, I'm not going to buy anything new you know, for outfits. And so there's a bunch of officers that I know who've been inspired by that and they're now doing it as a bit of a project where they're like, look, you can, anything that you wear, you know, it just has to be from your own wardrobe. You can swap with people at work or you can, you know, but you don't buy anything. We're doing it for six months or a year and that sort of thing. And that seems like a, you know, it's a small it's a small thing and it's yep. sort of funny and that sort of thing. But in terms of what that actually does to the planet, like fast fashion, mm-hmm. the kinds of things that you would otherwise do, how much waste you are creating and landfill that we create, even just around clothes and shoes, mm-hmm. those conversations, like they're not things that we really think about. We're kind of in this consume, consume, buy this, it's cool, we want this. Alan and I were just talking about the new iPhone, for example. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. like how you know How can you make sure that you keep up with, things and look cool and, you know, be fashionable and, but also, you know, be supported by technology. Like I would argue you would need a new iPhone a lot more than I would need a new iPhone. I can do what I need to do using the phone that I've got. Yeah, and
2: And, I know I can trade my my existing iPhone in and Apple will, will you know, use it responsibly, recondition it and then sell it to someone else. And
1: then so give you a cable that round, doesn't round work with anything else that you've got. Because <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I can still use my lightning cables with my AirPods. Yeah, so. but this, this, this week. <laughs> and
1: then, I mean, I love, I love that thing in Europe as well that they, they came out and they were like, you cannot come out with a, a cable that doesn't work with all the other pieces now.
3: Yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, that's the whole thing behind the USB C thing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's you can like barely use just, a cable from any manufacturer just be with any able device. To. Yeah, and of course, in the EU, you know, you can, you know, at, at a car's end of life, you know, the manufacturer is responsible for, for breaking that up and and it. As they well
1: should be. As they well should be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I, I love that. That's
3: it, that didn't occur to me. I was just like, I love it. So Apple, products. Apple, um, Apple is really going after this in a big way, but in a very slow manner as well. They're taking a long term horizon on this, and uh, and there's we believe they become they're going to become super circulous in executing over time, and they are masters at sort of driving little behavior changes over time. Uh, they we've written an amazing blog post on this that sort of kicked it out of the park, and people watching and reading this, and uh, and what they're doing over time is recognizing that they're going to shift us towards. They're gonna shift us towards subscription as a service offerings, both hardware, software, and intelligence across the board over time. They're setting us up for subscription services in terms of a behavior change. They're actually putting in place what they call Daisy One and Daisy Two in Cupertino to recycle the iPhones right now Mm-hmm. Um, in a way where they're recycling them in the thousands by every hour right now as a, in a test lab and the, and and from that they're also also setting us up for um not having to to do actually even own our own ha- ha- our hardware over time so they have officially announced by the end of this year they're gonna uh, um, announce and launch a subscription offering for our o finds which means you won't actually have a have to own one ever again. You'll basically just rent it and subscribe to it. At the moment, they're building behaviours right now Us actually trading in and, and sort of giving back. And so all these little nudges that they're providing are building up a, a, a behaviour change over time for the long term. So they're heavily working down that pathway. You know, on the flip side, you've got organisations, the fast fashion players who are just driven by AI to roll out the latest versions of whatever products week by week. And one of the worst offenders is, uh, is a brand out of China, which I don't name, which mm-hmm. is... Ten times worse than that, the existing operators out of Europe that have, have come and travelled the world, and uh, you know these overconsumptive behaviours are very much ingrained in the way we've been living, operating for like fifty to seventy years now, right? Thanks to Mad Men, thanks to brand, like us falling in love with brands mm-hmm. and associating, and into what you, what we want to actually do and buy. Um, but I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a typical bloke that I just want to I actually like my unique you know long sleeve jumpers I never want them to change them. Can you just stick to those basics? Yeah. I would buy ten, I would die, you know, five of them every year and I basically recycle them whenever I can, right? Hmm. So I think the big challenge is that unfortunately in the world we, we're focusing too much on food waste, textiles, and um and uh and plastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, my view is they can easily be solved. The technologies are there. We're going after e-waste as a bigger challenge, the so way the complex design products are so difficult to recycle. Mm-hmm. We need to reimagine that operating model. So oh,
1: awesome. so much food for thought. And we could talk to you all day, but unfortunately we cannot. But Nick no Cornios, thank you so, so much for joining us. That is just such a meaty and interesting conversation. And tiny footprints, please. I hope that has enormously helped you make some good decisions about how you want to steer your team and how you want to really make a difference. And like we said, you know, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. think software for a law firm could really make that much difference. But Nick, you've certainly given us a a bunch of big ways that we can really do that.
2: Great. Okay. Thanks so much for your time, mate.
1: Make sure you send us your questions or write to us about your problems. You can reach us at hello at disrupt.radio. You can find us on Instagram or on
0: LinkedIn. For the first time in Australian talk radio. Advertisers like you can target and reach an affluent, influential and aspirational audience using just one platform, Disrupt Radio. That's because our entire content strategy and on-air program schedule is built around audiences first. And when you build around audiences, you build around advertisers you'll reach a national audience of small business owners, entrepreneurs, and startups, highly influential decision-makers from the C-suite to owners, founders, and more. Disrupt Radio, the ideal environment for your business. Offering premium content, premium audience, and premium advertising opportunities. Like exclusive sponsorship of primetime programs, standard advertising packages, live reads, all within a contextual environment and a clutter-free listening experience. Disrupt Radio. The sound of Australian entrepreneurial spirit and a sound investment for your business. Tune in to opportunity. Disrupt Radio.